Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. So today we begin a new series, which is called Broken Signposts. We're going to be looking at a, a series of topics that everyone seems to have some sort of desire for, some sort of instinct for, uh, things that seem to be common to all of us, things like beauty and truth and love, the sorts of things that almost everyone will agree, at least in a general sense, are good things. The fact that we all share them suggests that these could be signposts pointing to something beyond us. But there are also things that are broken. In as far as we, when we pursue them, we don't always end up where we planned. But these are also things that Scripture speaks about. In fact, they're things that when we look at them from God's perspective, it can help us understand. It can help us understand not just some sort of ideal that we can't reach, but it helps us to understand why these things, these good things, when people pursue them, things go wrong. And our hope is as we go through this series that it will help us to understand our world as well as to see how our faith connects to these real issues in the world, desires for good things that we share with each other, both within the church and beyond. And we hope as well that it will help us see how we as followers of Jesus are called to enact these good things in our lives, in our church, and in the world. Now, our focus for today is justice. How many of you would say that you have a sense of justice? of when things are right and fair, and when things are not. I mean, I'm sure you could ask any of the parents of school-aged children. They could list off the things their child has complained. That's not fair. It's not fair that my brother got the bigger piece of cake. It's not fair that my sister got the first turn. It's not fair that I have to tidy my room. But as amusing as that is, a sense of justice and of injustice runs much deeper than that. How many of you can recall a time when you were wronged? When someone else did something that wasn't right to you? And if you can remember that, how did you feel? Were you angry? Wanting to make things right? Correct the record? Settle the score even? Maybe you still feel that way. We all seem to have this sense of justice and injustice. It seems to be innate, something that we're made with. 
But how often does that sense of justice help us? And how often can it misfire? The way that feeling of being wronged, the desire to get even, can lead to revenge. But then now someone else feels wronged, and so they feel that they need to make things right. And then it goes back and forwards, and soon you have a family feud where no one knows how or why it started. You just know that you hate your cousins in the next town over with the fire of a thousand sons. And this can work on a bigger scale as well. For those of you who maybe studied history uh, at school, you often end up learning about World War I and World War II and uh, at least one of the factors that leads to the Second World War is how the first one ended. You see, the side that won wanted to make things right. They wanted to make Germany pay for what they'd done. So they loaded them up with debt took some of the most productive land, set things up for a decade or more of economic hardship, which opened the door for the sort of leader who might promise to again make things right, to undo the injustices the nation had suffered. But other times, our sense of justice can actually help things. Most societies end up with some sort of a judicial system, a way for people to seek justice, for wrongs to be righted. And in our country today, we are fortunate to have a system that works, at least reasonably well. Our justice system doesn't just drag people off the streets and make them disappear. Those accused of crimes go through due process. But it's also far from perfect. I mean, if you can afford a good lawyer, then that can make a difference. There can still be inequalities in how Indigenous people are treated. And it's still very difficult for women who are victims of sexual assaults to get justice. Even our best efforts at justice are still far from perfect. And all this goes to show that we have this sense of justice suggests that that maybe there is some sort of standard of justice beyond us, but at the same time we're just not capable of true justice. We can manage something like it some of the time, but other times our efforts for justice can just make things worse. Now, did you know in our longing for justice, we are actually like God? God longs for justice. And what's more, God will bring justice. And so today we're going to have a little bit of a look at how this unfolds across the Bible. And so we only have to look at the opening chapters of Genesis to see how justice is a key theme in Scripture. The story when Cain murders Abel, we're told that Abel's blood cries out to God cries out for justice. And what else do we see in that story? We see God enacts justice. We see Cain faces consequences for what he's done. But at the same time, he is also protected by God from further injustice being done to him. But then we read on a few chapters later and we come to the story of Lamech who insists on avenging himself on anyone who wrongs him, and not just 
an eye for an eye, but avenging 77 times. I'm sure it doesn't take much to imagine just how that's a recipe for increasing violence and injustice. As we go on through the story, we see how often God's people are victims of injustice. The story of Joseph, who suffers first at the hands of his brothers who sell him into slavery, but then also facing false accusations. And now God works through these injustices, but that doesn't stop them from being unjust. We have the story of Israel, forced to be slaves, building the cities of the pharaohs. Or the stories of the judges, where over and over again, the people are oppressed by their enemies. Although at least there we see over and over again, God acting for justice as well. But even once Israel are this nation with their own kings, oppression and injustice does not stop. Indeed, as you read the prophets, not only do they call out the injustices of other nations, but God's own people oppress each other. The leaders exploit the people, the rich and powerful. They lie, they cheat, they steal, while the poor suffer what they must. The counter to this injustice suffered by God's people, perhaps, is the hope in God's justice. We see the prophets hold out this hope, but so do the Psalms. Indeed, there are Psalms that sing the praises of God's justice, that look forward with longing to the day when God will judge the earth. I think one of the most intriguing stories about justice comes in the book of Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk starts with, God, with the prophet calling out to God, lamenting the injustices that God's people are suffering here at the hands of their own leaders. He says, justice never prevails. Justice is perverted. And so God responds and tells Habakkuk that he will deal with it. He will bring justice to these leaders oppressing the people. But he does so through the Babylonians, who he'll raise up to destroy the leaders of Israel. And so Habakkuk comes back to God and says, but they're even more wicked. How can you use them? And God responds again, telling Habakkuk that he will judge them in turn for their actions. So as we follow through this story of scripture, we see how God is a God who cares about justice. And not just that, he acts for justice. Which meant that the people of God could look forward to when God would bring true justice. To when those who do evil will face the consequences of their actions. To when the mighty are brought low. To when true justice appears. Justice that sets all things right. And do you know what? That is precisely how Jesus' coming is presented, as coming to bring justice. For example, at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, we have two wonderful songs of praise, one from Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other from Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And both of these point to the way that Jesus, his coming, is all about justice. It's about a reversal of what we see in the world 
where it looks like the wicked prosper and everyone else suffers. They're full of hope for what this birth means. And we see that too in Jesus' own words. He tells us in John's Gospel that he came for judgment in John 9.39. Now that is a bit confronting perhaps. We like to think about Jesus and his coming about as about being all about the love of God, all about forgiveness. But you know what? Jesus talks about judgment more than anyone else in the New Testament. And that is not separate from his love. Indeed, we might even see it as an expression of his love. I mean, think about it. If you love someone, is it easy to just sit back and see them suffer injustice, to see them suffer wrongs, and not do anything about it. Now, in case you're not quite sure here, I'm going to read uh, a bit more from John's Gospel, and I'm going to start with that verse that most of you will be familiar with, John 3.16, but I'm not going to stop at the end of that verse. So John 3.16 starts, For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light, so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God." You see, the coming of God's light and love into this world is all about God putting things right. It shows that he cares about justice. And as we heard there, not just justice for the thing, obvious things we see, but justice that also brings light to all the hidden things. And we see some of that in the way that Jesus' coming presents a challenge. The people who meet him must choose how to respond. Do they come to him? Or do they keep trying to do their own thing, hidden away from God? And we see more of Jesus' care for justice throughout his ministry. When he's confronted by those who don't like what he's doing, well, it reads a little bit like a trial. We see Jesus calls witnesses what the scriptures says, what others like John the Baptist say, his justice, we're told, is not one that can be swayed by money or power because he doesn't judge by appearance, in John 7, 24, or by human standards, it's John 8, 15 to 16. Rather, he judges in truth. His judgment will ultimately be just. 
There's no evidence that gets lost, facts that are not revealed, or anything like that. Justice, true justice, is central to what Jesus is on about. And actually, that picture of Jesus' justice is a lot like what our world tends to think is the ideal for justice. I mean, how many of you have seen one of those traditional statues of Lady Justice? Anyone? Now, there are three things that a statue of justice has that, that, that are always part of that statue. Anyone know what they are? Scales, yes, yeah, so we have scales weighing good and bad. A blindfold, a blindfold because justice is supposed to be impartial, not judging on appearances. And the third thing, a sword, a sword to enact judgment. You see how those things that our society seems to uphold are also what we see in Jesus and the justice that he offers. So what does it mean for us that Jesus came for justice? Well, I think that there is much more that we can say than that it's just about rescuing us from judgment when we die. I mean, that's certainly part of it. Jesus talks about how those who are loyal to him will share in eternal life. That's one of the great things about following Jesus, which if any of you don't yet follow Jesus, that's what he offers you too. But we can't stop with just that. First of all, let's look at the big picture of Jesus' life and death. Jesus himself was a victim of injustice. He faces hostility, abuse, false accusations all throughout his ministry. And ultimately, he's executed on trumped-up charges with the legal system that is supposed to provide justice here delivering the opposite. We're talking about God himself, creator of all things, entering into his creation, but not only that, allowing himself to be the victim of injustice, allowing those he created to do him wrong, to his face, suffering the pain of injustice, to be killed without cause. You see, God is on the side of the victims of this world. God hears the poor and oppressed when they cry out. God condemns over and over the oppression and violence of injustice. Of course, that does not mean that God condones injustice from the oppressed. Far from it. He calls on the oppressed to cry out to him, to find justice in him, to leave vengeance to him. God is not the God of violent revolutionaries. He calls each one of us, no matter what injustice we face, to live lives of peace, to love our enemies, to forgive rather than repaying violence with violence. But as he calls us to such a challenging path, he also shows us how to do it. Because that's how Jesus lived. It's how Jesus died. Speaking words of forgiveness to his oppressors. But there's still more to the story. 
You see, Jesus' life and death are more than just solidarity and suffering. We've already seen from our experience, from looking at history, that even when we try to bring justice, it so often doesn't work. It's only partial. Sometimes there's no justice. Sometimes our attempts at justice even make things worse. And there are reasons for that. And one of those is that the whole problem of justice is one that goes beyond the choices that we make. You see, there is a cosmic dimension to questions of right and wrong, of justice and injustice. Jesus' coming for justice was not without opposition. And we see that come out in some of the things that Jesus talks about. He talks about the accuser, the ruler of this world. And now these things can maybe perhaps make us a little uncomfortable to talk about the devil. Our modern world encourages us to see the world as what we can see, and that's all there is to it. And even if we believe in God, even if we believe that God acts in this world, that can still be easier than admitting that there is this whole unseen dimension, a spiritual realm that has bearing on the world we can see. Maybe we struggle to believe that. We hope that we can more or less ignore it. Or maybe we just worry that we'll sound silly if we talk about things like that, even sillier than when we talk about God. But if we stop and think, it does help to make sense of the world, the way things are. It helps make sense of why, as hard as we try, there is something outside of us that resists our efforts for justice. Now, absolutely, sometimes our work for justice fails simply because of human failings. Greed, revenge, a lack of forgiveness. But sometimes we do our best, and it's not enough. Never enough. And that's why Jesus, at the end of his ministry, just before his last evening with the disciples, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, in John 12, 31. Jesus came to deal with this issue that lies behind so many of the problems in this world. You see, sometimes we can look at the things that are going wrong and just see how terrible the people are. I mean, the story of Jesus, we see Pilate, the one who ultimately orders Jesus to be crucified. We see someone quite willing to have Jesus beaten, whipped, abused, even though he doesn't think he's done anything wrong. He's willing to send Jesus to be executed, again, not for justice, but to appease those who threaten him. And we might see him as the ultimate bad guy, Now, he certainly is a bad guy. But in a way, he's just a mouthpiece for the power that is beyond the human world and that opposes what God does in this world. Indeed, Pilate is also the representative of empire, representative of Rome, the power that exploits, oppresses, enslaves, and massacres. Did you know, in the Bible, empires are often seen as the real-world aspect of this power that opposes God. In places like Daniel and Revelation, the empires of the world are presented as horrible, corrupt beasts. These powerful, destructive, opposing God. 
but ultimately unable to stand against him. And Jesus' mission, one part of it, is to bring an end to this power of evil. Now, obviously, we still see evil in this world. The power of evil has not been entirely removed, but has been dealt a fatal blow. And ultimately, the power of evil will have no place in God's new creation. I mean, that's one of the key points of the book of Revelation. It's not about trying to match up details to things we see in the world, but the fact that all of these forces, these empires, the evil in the world, it will have an end. That the new creation, one of the things that makes it so good is that evil will not have a place in it. Because that's what justice needs. Justice cannot let evil keep being evil. Now, it's hard sometimes living in the world that we do. Living with the hope that justice will come, but not seeing it here and now. We want things to be set right now. But we have to keep reminding ourselves of where we are in the story. The fact that God created this good world, but we rejected God, rejected his justice. We didn't want to listen. And so God, in the person of Jesus, comes into his creation to begin setting things right, to begin the work of new creation with his creation. Jesus' resurrection is the greatest sign of this new creation starting to be at work, the sign that true justice is coming. But creation also reminds us that this world is good but flawed. It's not completely doomed, something to be endured and abandoned, but it's also not all good. And it's not good enough for us to fix up ourselves. So then, what is our role for justice in the world? Well, for starters, we need to remember that it's not up to us to fix it all. If we try that, that's just a recipe for exhaustion and despair. But at the same time, God has given us his spirit, and through the spirit we can make a difference in this world. Now, one way the spirit is at work is set out in John 16, uh, 8 to 11. And there we are told that the spirit will convict the world. Now, notice it is not us who are to convict the world. It's the spirit. So this is not saying that we need to be out on the street corner telling everyone that they're going to face God's justice, they're going to hell or anything like that. Rather, we are continue to continue Jesus' announcement of true justice, to point towards him, to point towards the idea that there is right and wrong, that we all suffer from wrong and that God will set everything right. And we are to embody that justice as well. We are to seek justice, especially for others, for those who do not have justice in this world, for the asylum seekers who are locked up for years on end simply for trying to escape danger, for the indigenous people who have suffered so much at the hands of colonisers, for the people of the Pacific Islands who are losing their homes because of the pollution and climate change caused by people like us. You see, we are to live for the sort of justice that Jesus embodied, one that finally deals with what is wrong, but also one that is restorative, that's not primarily about 
punishing but about setting things right. And our work for justice is not necessarily going to result in the enactment of justice in this world. I mean, just look at Jesus. He ended up suffering such great injustice instead. But again, that is where we need to remember that we work for justice in the world, not firstly to make that justice a reality. It's not the goal that is central, but rather as followers of a just God, just is part of who we are to be. We are to embody justice in our lives. It's up to God to finally set all things right, not us. But if our allegiance is to Jesus, the bringer of justice, then we too are to be on the side of justice as we hope for the true justice that only God will bring. Now, I could end things there. It's a nice positive note to end on, an encouragement that Jesus has overcome the power of evil, that he will set things right, and at least something of a challenge there to live out God's justice in our lives. But I'm not going to finish just yet, because while what I've said is true and encouraging, I don't think it quite challenges us somewhere where we perhaps need to be challenged. Because the reality is, that all of us are going to fail to live out the justice that Jesus brings. That's just reality. But our failures can have consequences in the church. And before I press into some detail, this is where I think we need to check our broader attitudes and where they might be unhelpful. Because sometimes you hear Christians who like to see the church as the victim of injustice. But the reality is, in our society here, the church is not persecuted. People might disagree with us, think we're silly even, but that does not make us the victim of injustice. And the problem, you see, is that if we paint ourselves as the victims of injustice, it makes it very hard to see when, maybe, we are the perpetrators of injustice. You see, for all this talk of justice, there are times when the church does not uphold the justice of God. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this in one form or another. The pastor who bullies and threatens others on the church staff, it's okay. Andrew's out there, he's not listening. The leaders who abuse kids or cover up for those who do. Those who are so convinced that someone they know and respect couldn't possibly do the things that someone has suggested. So the leaders of a church heap more suffering on a victim rather than hearing their suffering and seeking to heal and help them. You see, if we are going to bring justice to the world, then we need to be sure that there is justice in the church as well. That's why, for example, we have all of the rules around anyone who helps out with the kids' programs here. Working with children's checks and training, making sure that everyone understands the government rules around mandatory reporting and complying with that. 
We want the church to be a place of justice. One where ideally wrong does not happen. Absolutely. But also one where if someone does do wrong, then there can be justice. And I point to the, this area of what we do with our kids because I think this is one area where our Baptist churches here in South Australia have done a good job of working for justice within the church. And in part as a response to seeing how justice has not been done in some churches. But it is something we need to continue to be aware of across all sorts of injustices that might happen within here. I mean, if you read the stories of those who have suffered injustice in the church, abuse, bullying, whatever it might be, it's heartbreaking to hear what has happened to them. But I find it so much more devastating to read so often what the next story, step in the story is. They tell people what happened and the church closes ranks around the leader who has bullied or abused the victims are pushed out and lose their friends and community. That is not justice. If that is what we are like inside, then how can we speak credibly to the world around us about justice? So even more than working for justice in the world, we must, be, we must make sure that we ourselves are not perpetuating injustice because it destroys our proclamation of a God of justice if we say we follow him, but then enact injustice. So that's our challenge for today. If we serve a God of justice, how do we live out that justice in our lives and above all in this church so that our justice can be part of how we show the world, a world that longs for justice? We want to show them that true justice comes from God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you long for justice, that you want all things to be set right and that you will set all things right. Father, help us to trust and hope in you, in your justice. And help us to live out your justice in this world and especially in this church. Help us to see our own injustice. To not let that be hidden but let things be brought to light. For you are light, you are love, you want justice but you also want to restore us and destroy the evil and to make all things into a place where there is no injustice, there is no suffering. Father, we long to see that happen, to see your kingdom be made on this earth. Amen.